0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit amen welcome back everyone to our sunday gospel reflections here at the institute of catholic culture for the 15th sunday in ordinary time otherwise known as the extraordinary time oh (laughs) right um seventh sunday after pentecost i do believe got it so we're in the pentecost season of course and uh continuing on our reflection of of uh, the evangelical mission of the church with some pretty cool biblical text to take a look at today, Absolutely. starting with Isaiah, Annie.
1: Yes, the first reading for Mass on Sunday is taken from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 65. The gospel is Matthew chapter 13. Verses 1 through 23, although there is the option to just do verses 1 through 9, just what? saying. Option. Yeah, they have the option of the shorter gospel.
0: I didn't know there were options when it came to worshiping God.
1: I tell you what, these that's, things happen in this okay. day and age. Okay, let's.
0: Right. And then... The, we're going to do the whole thing. Okay.
1: The epistle, yeah, the epistle is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. Ready to nice. dive into Isaiah.
0: Isaiah 55, 10.
1: 55. That's like right at the end. It?
0: Eleven. It's yeah, like it's, it's two verses. I guess they're trying to be merciful because the gospel's really long, but <laughs> I'm not going to be as merciful. So oh neat.
1: Good. Well, let's read what we get at mass, and then you can take us through uh some longer texts, I guess. Nice. Okay. All right. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and eleven. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. All right. So, well, I did mention it's right toward the end of Isaiah, I believe, right? Give us a sense of of the context in Isaiah that we're hearing this from the Lord.
0: Okay. Um, uh yes, um, and the the the, the most imp- important thing, of course, as we're doing these is that context and the principles that we're gaining through our study together. Um, and if we get those principles right, then they're applicable in other places in the scriptures, right? So we're getting our, our tool belt, that's our goal through these Sunday gospel Reflections to make sure our tool belt is well prepared for the task at hand, which is to read the scriptures. Um, and then to allow, uh, of course, the the your your um, homilist, your priest, mm-hmm. uh, who will be giving a homily this Sunday to well, give you a homily. So I try, I try to kind of back off on the homily business to give it the basics and the background and tools. So um, the first thing is that when you hear this this text at, at Mass, the context of this text is not, at least initially, a reference to the incarnate word of God, right? Yeah, I was going to mention yeah. that the
1: word, the word word is lowercase.
0: You have to ask yourself, well, okay, lo- well, yes, but in the Hebrew text, that would not have mattered. However... The um, the 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 point is what would this have meant to its original audience? What was the intention of the author in writing it? And of course, it's a twofold intention, and therefore, uh, not only the historical context is important, but then also the context of God's intention. So there's it where the Word of God, the Lord, the incarnate Word, can come into play. But first, you had to get the background, and that. Of course, you say, "What would this have meant to Israel at the time in which it was being written?" And and so, therefore, you have to gain that time stamp, and uh, those that would have been reading it. So let's 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 gain that time stamp. And again, always got to go. I always go pull out my old Fuentes. Fuentes. I haven't mentioned Antonio Fuentes in a while. A guide to the Bible. Now, of course. If there are any biblical scholars that are with us today, they're rolling their eyes because Fuentes is very introductory. But you know what? It's helpful, especially with dummies like me, with a bad memory, to always go back and just read a quick refreshment. Of, you know exactly when was Isaiah living? What was going on in his life, and what was going on in the life of Israel at the time? So that I'm not kind of cherry picking these verses and then applying then not applying them properly. In their historical context. So, this is what Fuentes says, and I'm going to skip some verses, uh, but or skip some of this words and paragraphs here. But he says this the prophecies contained in the first part of the book refer to the period in which Isaiah himself lived. Okay, now the first part of the book, he's saying chapters one through 39. Okay, Isaiah has that breaking point at chapter 40. So, you can turn there and you'll see chapter 40, verse one comfort comfort my people says your says your god now the prophecies off the the prophets came to warn god's people about impending doom but isaiah functions for us on two ends of the spectrum isaiah gives the prophecy of the impending doom and the warning chapters 1 through 39 of what's coming and then from chapter 40 on he says however the lord will be victorious and that's where you get this this comfort comfort, my people, because the disaster which has ensued, which Isaiah prophesied about, has come into place, but they should not lose hope. And that's the purpose of the second part of this book, of which our text is part. It's called the Book of Comfort. So okay, I'll keep reading what what Fuentes says, okay, the prophecies contain the first part of the book. Refer to the period in which Isaiah li- himself lived in the year 738. So this is pre-Babylonian exile. Okay, uh, the political horizon in the Near East was overshadowed by the growing threat of the military strength of Assyria. So Assyria is is yet to conquer the north, but is gaining strength, and everybody in the Middle East is saying to themselves, oh no. It's it's coming. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, and and then so forth. The second part of the book. Chapters 40 through 55, the scene changes. Now we're in chapter 55. Right. Yeah. So The scene changes in his prophetic vision. Isaiah now sees Babylon. So now Assyria, uh, the Babylonians have now come to power. Assyria conquered the north. The Babylonians have come to power almost two centuries in the future, Babylon, two centuries in the future, at a point when the exiled Jews are in need of consolation. The king Cyrus the Great, in the year 555 to 528, governor of Anzán, proclaimed himself king of Persia and Media around the year 549. His campaign led him into Lydia, whose capital Sardis he took in 546. And then the third part of the book, chapters 56 through 66 looks to the return of the Jews just at the point when they are taking steps to reform their lifestyle and keeping with the covenant even though they are very exposed to foreign idolaters in influences. So you got to think about it like this. The first part of the book, Isaiah is saying, look out. If you keep living like this, it's all going to come crashing down. And you're going to be in exile. The second part of the book, or if we're going to break it into three, maybe we could say that the second part of the book, chapters forty through fifty-five, of which ours is a piece of this, or, or is at the end of this, is the uh, is kind of the initial announcement, saying, "Hey, get your lives right with the Lord, and things will get better because now you're in exile," right? Right. And then the third part of that book continues that book of consolations, It kind of prophesying, hey, it's coming now. Um, The, 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 uh, those that have repented will be restored. Okay. So let's take a look just very quickly by scanning a couple examples of this from chapter 40. And I'm, I literally, I don't even know what chapters and verses I'm going to look at right now. Okay. So, but this is helpful. I think as a principle to say context, you can kind of scan. And if you've been highlighting your Bible, it's even more, Helpful. Look at uh, chapter 40, verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Sion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will feed his flock. Like a shepherd, okay, and so now there's this is the part of the good news, the announcement that the Lord will come, and Jerusalem, which is the last image we have of Jerusalem, is Lamentations chapter one verse one, in which Jeremiah sees the city and in, in, in utter ruin, having been sacked by the Babylonians in Second Kings chapter twenty five. Um, that's the last image we have of Jerusalem, really. And now there's begins to be the announcement of a rejoicing that's that's going to take place. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, again, I'm just um, looking here, verse, verse four, chapter 42, verse one. Um, behold, my servant, whom I behold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. OK, so there's again this this good news um uh chapter 45 i'm skipping a lot here obviously chapter 45 verse 22 uh, this is actually this c- critically important it, to get this whole section of our of our of this book turn to me and be saved from the situation you're in so now so where's that prophecy before of isaiah and all the prophets was saying stop your sinning and God will forgive you. Now it says, now that you're in trouble, right? Repent. You, there's mm-hmm. still a chance for you to be restored, right? Yeah. Now that you've lost everything, there's, you haven't lost hope, okay? By myself, I have sworn from my mouth has gone forth a, a, in righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. To me, every knee shall shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Of course, St. Paul picks this up in Philippians yeah, chapter 2, verse 10, referring to the Lord, right? so the the certainly biblically all that we're looking at is going to be applied eventually to the new testament and to the person of our lord but that application begins here okay why is it important that the word of the lord goes forth here in and uh, shall not return and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear well because every knee didn't bow and every tongue didn't swear Right, they were bowing down to false gods in Judah, in Israel, and but there will be a day when the word of the Lord does go forth, and the people of God will become obedient to it. Now, this is this is kind of my 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 point, and I I think that will be enough for us to look at. Maybe we'll pick a, a couple of verses here, but what is the word of the Lord to Israel? What is it? Is it, it don't? I mean, get out your pious, pious Jesus for a moment. You're okay, well, Annie. Seriously, what I didn't, you know, you didn't always ask you questions, you usually ask me questions. But what's the word of the Lord for God's people in the Old Testament?
1: I mean, I would have, I would think like Moses and the law,
0: the exactly yeah. how you are to live your life is God's God's word about how to live, right? And you live according to that word, right? And the word of the Lord had gone forth prior, and yet the people didn't listen, and the, and the, and they weren't obedient. But now Isaiah prophesies that the word of the Lord is going to go forth, and it's actually going to um, to, to to cause a change. It's not going to be any more unable or not that the word of the Lord is unable, but you're just saying it's it's going to be impactful now, right? So there's going to be a day when people are going to become obedient and walk in the ways of the Lord. And then you can continue on and pick up chapter 52, awake, awake. You see that chapter 52 verse one, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Sion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come upon you, the uncircumcised and the unclean shake yourself from the dust okay the, this the go back and read chapter 25 again in second kings chapter 25 or in lamentation chapter 1 verse 1 to understand this oh captive jerusalem do you see this yeah loose the bonds from your neck O captor daughter of Sion. you're free now as isaiah is prophesying that there's this day is coming okay okay well I think that is good. Chapter fifty-five. Now, now, here's what we have to do. Again, for context, I know I'm giving you guys a lot of what like, you're playing like move on. No, this is this is the name of the game, right? Is, we want this lay this field. Then, when those words are spoken at mass on Sunday, I understand totally what's going on. In you can be the fertile misog-
1: soil, so to speak.
0: Thank you. We're going to be yeah. fertile soil for the seed to be planted. Thank you, Annie. Chapter fifty-five, verse. 10? No. Verse 1. Thank you. Ah. We'll get started verse (laughs) 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has much. Well, what does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, right? Jesus is, right? As As he talks to the Samaritan woman, as he's um, as he's in Jerusalem and in the gospel of John, oh, everyone who thirst come to the waters and he who has no money come by and, and eat by wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that, which is not bread and your labor for that, which is, does not satisfy hearken diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in fatness, incline your ear and come to me Hear, that your soul may, may live. So also now there's a change, mm-hmm. right? What, do we, what, is that, what is it that we're supposed to be laboring for? What is that bread we're supposed to be buying that we might live? Listen, incline your ear, verse 3, come to me and hear. And that's how you're going to live, right? That's what you're going to buy. And I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Again, what is a covenant? It is the two becoming one. Yeah, as as a marriage covenant, the two shall become one flesh. So the covenant with the Lord binds us together. His word goes forth. It comes into us. And now what is formerly his becomes ours. And the two become one. Hmm. What the Lord says is implanted in our hearts and becomes the impetus for our life um behold i'm in verse four I, ma- I made him a witness it's david to the peoples a leader and a commander for the peoples behold you shall call nations that you know not and nations that knew you not shall run to you because of the lord your god and the holy one of israel for he has glorified you so now the nations are going to change right it's no longer be adversarial but they're going to come to faith in Yahweh. They're going to receive the word of God. What does this sound like, Christians? It's Pentecost, right? This is the mission of the church going out to the Gentile world. This is why this is being given to us now. Because what the church is living in her in her liturgical life, in her spiritual life right now, having, having received the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we now are going out into the Gentile world, out into the darkness, so that the world can come to know the Lord. Okay. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So you, you get even here in this midst of this beautiful proclamation, a calling, right? So we're in, we're in Isaiah 44 through 55, right? Still convincing the people you're in exile, but Turn from that wickedness. Turn from that distance. The Lord is near you. If you'll just be near him, or If you will just turn to him, he's, he's here in your presence, even though you're in Babylon, even though you're in exile, even though you live in California or you live in Cincinnati. No, regardless St. Louis, regardless of where you live, it may look bad out there. The Lord is near you. If you'll just turn to him, let him, re, let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my, your your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so the ways are higher than your ways. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you, yeah. You're in exile. Yes, your memories of Jerusalem smoldering and burning to the ground and your, your little ones being, being you know murdered and all, that's your memory. And now you're in exile. Have hope in the Lord. He's present to you even, even in your exile, even in your sin. I say this to people regularly. Okay, I'm going to get my homily horse for a second. Um, I say this to people regularly regarding holy confession. We go to confession and we're sorrowful for our sins, which we should be, but we can also rejoice in that moment of, of turning that moment of coming to holy confession. And even the moment before we come to confession, when we decide to go to confession, right? We rejoice in the moment, even in the, it, when does the, when does the prodigal son begin to rejoice? In the pig pen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When he, when he, he realizes his dad. Yeah, he comes this is the moment himself. of grace.
1: Yeah.
0: When the Lord can be your savior, rejoice in that moment of exile, because now the Lord can be your savior. Yeah. Okay. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. So even though it looks impossible for you right now, it looks impossible for you to get out of your sin. It looks impossible. You're in exile in Babylon. Everything, your memory of Jerusalem is burning. It's possible. Because the Lord has a higher way. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and return not thither, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. Now, stop for a moment. Is now the the prophet gives us very much what Jesus is going to give us, and that is a material representation. Because what are you saying, Lord? Are you? This is not going to happen. I mean. I'm in bondage in Babylon. How is it possible that the greatest empire in the world is going to come crashing down and we are going to be freed? It's not possible. Little does the unbeliever know that God is preparing out of a little known kingdom, a great man, and that is King Cyrus, who's about to come upon babylon and conquer her and the persian empire is going to rise up and he's going to use what you could never have seen with your own eyes a pagan king now is going to come to the throne and is going to do what no pagan king would ever do and that is release the slaves and give them money to build the house of the Lord, go and read for you the last chapter of second Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra. And that's the moment, the turning moment, but they could never have seen it. They could never have imagined be, why, because this can only be done by the immaterial God, the eternal God to bring this about. And that. You can't see it. We are physical beings. We see with our eyes. We learn with our ears. We touch and we come to know. So how can we come to know the Lord in his ways if he's not in the material world? If he's not a material, physical being, how can I come to know what he's in? That great king sitting on his throne with all the armies around him. His armies are immaterial armies. How could I possibly come to how he's going to act in my life? Well, take a look at how Creation works because this is what St. Paul says in Romans chapter one, go and read it that through the, through the physical world, through the, through, through the creation, we come to know the creator and this is exactly what Isaiah says. And this is what the Lord's going to do in his parables. He's going to say, look, I know you can't see it, but you can, if you look at it in the right way, Hmm. look at creation, just like that. So, the Lord's going to act because he's the creator of that. So, look what he says. You know how the rain works, and the snow comes down from the heavens and returns not thither, but waters the earth. And what happens when it waters the earth? Is, I'm not going to keep reading because you know what happens, right? The grasses come spring forth what was barren and dry. You got to think of Palestine. Okay, and and um, you got to come to California because I. Yeah, this is exactly the way it works, right? It's right now we're in uh we're in July, is barren out there. <laughs> I'm serious. I can walk out there. Stickers and dry and gray, and it's just dry desert. Terrible. There's Tender. nothing. Yeah. And and yet no first rains come, December, January depends on the year. December, and the first rains come. Boom, the water drops on that ground, and immediately, literally, like the next day, the grasses will start all of a sudden. This all green will start coming up, right? Oh, cool. So this is what this is what Isaiah is doing. He's giving us this image, making it bring forth, in sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So just like that, you who are in Babylon, so shall my word be. That goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I, which I purpose and prosper in the things which I have sent it. Okay, there, my friends, is the context of this passage. And that's the context that Jesus is using when he preaches some 700 years later on the sea of yeah. galilee
1: super cool you know i was gonna say i i've heard it said that ignorance of agriculture is ignorance of scripture i think Wait, just yeah this is a real
0: us. it's a real tragedy because we we've lost we've lost that um that that kind of culture around us and it's that it's that it's that culture in which the word of god the bible was written and unless you allow that imagery that's it, it's, it's it and you know what? If you're you're a you're a flatlander, okay, you live in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I have
1: plenty of hills in Cincinnati.
0: <laughs> the flatlander, seven of the city, them actually. The city yeah. dweller, you know, yeah. uh, it's okay because you actually have these images, right? You you know what this looks like, and you can you can allow your imagination. This is a big again talking about principles and tools. One of the most important um, tools that, uh, that a that a reader of the Bible can have is a is a fertile imagination. I'm serious about that. You have to allow pictures to be constantly. The, 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 the author of the scripture is painting a picture for us. And Jesus is going to paint just that same picture. But he's going to do so not by writing words on, the, on, on a page. But by standing in the picture itself. And that picture is the Holy Land. That's why some people call the, the, the Holy Land the fifth gospel. It 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 helps our imagination. So you, if you've never been to the Holy Land, you got to go. But but even so, we have a great gift, which is the internet, which can be used for bad things, but also for good things. And and pictures can be drawn up. They say, what, "Where was the Lord standing when He said that?" I want to see because that's what Jesus is doing. And oftentimes we don't allow Jesus to do to teach in His own environment, yeah. and that's that's terrible. I mean, imagine. Imagine uh, uh, a teacher in a, in a foreign environment. I, I've taught in, in situations like, I can't teach here. The environment's all wrong, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and atmosphere and environment's critically important. The atmosphere environment about what Isaiah is talking about is Babylon with a memory of Palestine, a memory of Jerusalem. And he's trying to help them see the green grass start to grow again out of the smoldering desolation, which is second Kings chapter 25 and Jeremiah chapter or uh, Lamentations chapter one. Okay. All right, Annie, that's, that's my context.
1: Well, that's awesome. And I think can, can lead us right, right into the responsorial Psalm and, and the gospel here. I mean, all of this imagery of watering the land and and having fertile soil is is coming right out in, in Psalm 65 here.
0: It is the seed that falls on good ground will yield a fruitful harvest. You have visited the land and watered it greatly. Have you enriched it? God's water courses are filled. You have prepared the grain thus have you prepared the land drenching its furrows breaking up its clods, softening it with showers blessing its yield you have crowned the year with your bounty and your pads overflow with a rich harvest the untilled meadows overflow with it and rejoicing close the the hills the fields are garments with flocks and the valleys blanketed with grain they shout and sing for joy now we have to stop for a moment because now we're going to transition And Isaiah is already doing this for us because, of course, Jerusalem, Mount Sion, daughter Sion, the bride of God, is not the physical place of Jerusalem. That's a beginning and an image of what the Lord is going to do with his people. Yes. So all of this, the the, the rain comes down upon the land, but the word comes down upon the soul. Yeah yeah we can't go to the new testament without going to my favorite passage regarding this which is jeremiah 31 31 okay we Mm got to do this and and then just to kind of bring things to uh full circle here 31 31 are you with me jeremiah 31 31 i am here behold and this is kind of like isaiah chapter 40 right this is jeremiah saying okay but right there's It's all going to hell in a handbasket, but, okay. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it where? On stone tablets, Mm -mm -mm. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. that word of the Lord, the law of God now, is going to no longer be written on stone exterior to God's people. It's going to come within them. That word of the Lord is going to come down within them and plant a seed within them. Like a seed and it's going to grow within the soul of the person within God's people. So this transition now, which is the really, let's go big picture, Old Testament. This is the whole, the whole business. Adam and Eve, this is what they were meant for. The word of the Lord would would, would come into them that what God told them to do would actually take, take root in their hearts and would no longer, it wouldn't be something outside of them as a, as a dictation, as a command, right? What did God say? Oh. No. Because it's within their heart, it's within them, it's part of who they are. But when they rejected the word of God, and they renounced the, the covenant, when they broke that communion, now the word of God is exterior to them. And God writes it on stone, so at least they can see it with their eyes. Yeah. Right? But when the restoration of all things happens, what was... True before that now comes no longer written on stone, no longer exterior, no longer the temple is going to be built out of rock, dead rocks, right? It's going to be built out of living stones because the living word of God has come into the and made man alive again. So, whole of salvation history is all about this this reality taking place. Before we turn to to the gospel, I'm going to read you a quotation from Saint Jerome. He says. According to the anagogical sense, the typological sense, there is a double meaning here. Because the word of the Lord, or he about whom it is written, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and and God was the word, God's word does not return to him void, only through his doing the will of his Father, as he filled all things on account of which he had become embodied and reconciled the world to God. He is the one who is said to proceed out of his mouth and out of the womb. So that we learn the nature of the Lord through our words, or it in or it indeed could be said that the word of the gospel teaching may be called rainstorms, the rain that the spiritual clouds pour over the good earth where the truth of God has has reached. okay? So St Jerome is saying, you can understand what Isaiah is saying here in a typological way, just as just as the rain comes down upon the earth, so the word of god is going to come down upon the soul but that word of god in as uh, the law of god in the old testament is a foreshadowing of the incarnation the enfleshment that word coming and actually coming into the heart which which is jesus who is jesus right man divinized man and god brought back together again um, the word of God dwelling within us. And then Jesus can be said to be the fulfillment of that, uh, of the will of God, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the old covenant, because he's literally the walking will of God. Yeah, yeah. he has the he is the will of God in flesh. He is the God's word brought down and made flesh and now walking. So he fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills the law perfectly. There's no aspect of the law he doesn't fulfill because he is that law in flesh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now with that image and with Jesus, now that image of the one who receives that word within him and the word does not return unfruitful. Now the question is us. Right?
1: right. And,
0: uh, and that's where we can transition to our gospel account.
1: Awesome. All right. So Matthew chapter 13, sit back and enjoy the read.
0: This it's It's long. a bit long guys, but we're going to stick with it. Go ahead.
1: All right. Verses one through 23. Here we go. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood along the shore and he spoke to them at length in parables saying a sower went out to sow.
0: Okay. And I'm going to stop you because this is a long gospel. And yeah. I think we can get a few pieces along the way Annie. Cause I know you're going to ask oh, okay. me about geography, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. You talk about having right. Jesus in his classroom. Tell us.
0: Right. So where is Jesus at this moment? What house is he in? um uh he, well, he's well he's in boat C- well yes but before that, in chapter 1 okay. the same day Jesus went out of the house yeah he's in galilee he's in capernaum and he's in peter's house which has become which has become his house, his house. right peter sure. has brought and it's important my brother likes to comment about this about how we have this idea that the the apostles are called and they kind of flip out and just walk away from their life no Peter was married, he had children, he had a mother-in-law. Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't destroy our families, he's come to lift them up. And so Peter, rather than abandoning his family and his boat and his home, has brought those things to the Lord. So I love when you walk into Capernaum. The um sign on the post at Capernaum now says the the hometown of Jesus or something like that. The home of Jesus, yeah. it's very nice. And um, because now it's become his home. Peter's home has become his home. So he leaves Peter's home where people gather together. This is where they ripped the roof off. They lowered the paralytic down where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. The crowds are gathering around. It's intense. People are coming from all over the place. And so he goes back on the seashore. You have to realize that the seashore is right there. So I'm going to pull up for you a picture now of Capernaum. The first thing I'm gonna share with you guys is um, the bigger picture of the Holy Land. You can see now here, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem is right up here. And this is the Jordan Valley. Jesus was baptized right about here. And coming up the Jordan Valley, we come along, you can see Tiberias and Gennesar and Capernaum right here. Okay, so, and now, and now I'm gonna go a little closer for you guys. Let's just pull it in here a little bit closer. You can see this now: Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. That's called the, today. That's called they. People like tell us the evangelical triangle right here oh, right. between. It's where Jesus did most of his ministry. And then you'll see Capernaum here. But notice just over here. Oh, there it is, Cove of the Sower, ah. the Cove of the Sower. Okay, this is the place where Jesus got in the boat. Now you say. Well, gee whiz, I don't know how far that is unless I come down here to my nifty little map. Five miles is that length. 1.25 miles is that length. Well, Capernaum, that's less than one point. It's right there. It's less than a mile. And indeed, it is less than a mile. So let's draw a little bit closer here now at what it looks like today. Um, And this, what it looks like today um, is... Not all that dissimilar what it looked like when Jesus was there, except it's ruins and a modern church. Okay. You can get it if you can get over that, you're gonna see this is the synagogue that Jesus in which Jesus healed the demoniac, okay, and also taught the bread of life discourse in John chapter six. But you'll notice here, and here I'm gonna just I'd love to do this when I'm in the holy land with our pilgrims. Turn with me to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter 1, verse 20, well, verse 16, you'll see, and passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, and that's the calling of the apostles, right? Well, that takes place just down the coast here. I'll show you in just a minute. It's just only about two or three miles away down the coast. Then in verse 21, and he went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Well, this this is this is the synagogue Jesus was in. Now, these walls are there after jesus's time however they're still very ancient the foot the footprint of this synagogue and the stone floor is the same huh. that jesus was in so when you're seeing you're literally seeing the place where jesus was and notice what he does verse following verse 21 as he dry verse 23 immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit there's the demoniac verse 29 and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of simon and andrew Well. There he goes. He walks out of this synagogue here. And this is the modern church built over Peter's house. Oh, wow. So he's, lit, he's right there. And then verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons and the whole city was gathered together, right? And then I want to show you one more verse. Chapter two, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea where's the sea? You see, (laughs) from Peter's house, the sea is right there, like right there. Yeah. But the crowds are still all around him. Right. And he's back and forth. And now we're back to Matthew chapter 13. And okay, now we can see Capernaum and the sower, the cove of the sower, which is only about a mile away. It's actually looks in that picture, maybe a little further, but it's not It's right there. Okay. It can pull up a number of different pictures here, but this gives you a sense. Right here, and there's a little. No, that's cove like that-
1: a walk I would make along the beach on vacation.
0: Absolutely, yeah. but this is the most important part about our about what we're talking about here. It's a natural amphitheater. Which Jesus loved to teach in the natural amphitheaters, the same type of an amphitheater. is just up the hill in the Mount of Beatitudes, and so he chose this spot. Why? Because when the wind is coming off the sea, and he's on a boat here, he can speak, and his voice is going to get carried up right here across all these people all these hundreds and thousands of people there's an ancient church that was built right here on the cove okay but what i love about this picture is it shows you what jesus is talking about if you go there today the fertile soil these are these are right down here these are citrus trees right here along the coast but right here it's all rocky see that oh wow yeah there's and there's thorns and thistles. Look at it right there. Thorns. I've walked through that. That's a dry, nasty. It's got thorns in it. it's hard to get through. I've walked through that. I swam in that bay. And, uh, and, and so when, when this is, this is the image Jesus now gives us in this gospel, he's standing in the spot that he's talking about. Wow. Okay. So now let's go back to our text and, and so keep cool. reading.
1: All right. So, um, He spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit a hundred or sixty or thirty fold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The disciples approached him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He said to them in reply, Because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. To anyone who has, more will be given and he will grow rich from anyone who has not even what he has, will be taken away.
0: Now stop. Here's my second thing. I have to contextualize, not from a geography standpoint, but from the, from the standpoint of the gospel, because you're going to ask me, Annie, the same question you always ask me, which is, how does this fit into last week's gospel? We right. skipped chapter 12. Well, I don't know why we skipped chapter 12 because it's fundamentally important to this gospel. And if you understand what's going on in chapter 12, you understand what's going on in this gospel and why it is that Jesus seems to become very contentious and why he becomes almost offensive. Like, Lord, that's terrible to say that. I mean, the poor people, right? Well, you have to realize that all the people around him, right? And these crowds of people are the enemies. And I pointed this out to you last week in chapter 12, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him how to destroy him okay so that's all i need to point out yeah. is it is it, this this whole thing's going on is it he's been we're in chapter 13 of matthew now jesus has sent out the apostles he's done all the miracles he's done he's i mean he's gonna do more but if they're not convinced yet i mean forget about it that's basically what's going on And you have in this crowd, the naysayers and the people, and there's crowds all around him, and he's preaching the word. He's got out of a boat, and they still haven't come to faith. So that's where we're at in the gospel. And and that's why the frustration of chapter 13 now takes place. And when Jesus says, yeah, they've blinded their, they've closed their eyes, they've closed their ears, they're, they're blind guides. Yeah, well, and yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we
1: miss the part where they accuse him of driving out demons with Beelzebul.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, the thing is very contentious now. And so while we have the nice bay of the parables and the nice Jesus with the flowers and it says, no, the rocky soil are those godless Pharisees right there. OK, and but but Jesus knows he can't do that. Yeah. Because if he does, they will arrest him and he can't be arrested right now. So he starts speaking in terms that are, they're like, what's he, is he saying that about us, right? He can't be accused of me because he's talking these big terms. Okay. So let's keep going.
1: Okay. I like it.
0: Okay. So
1: the disciples approached him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? He said to them in reply, because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you. But to them, it has not been granted. Anyone who has, more will be given and he will grow rich. From anyone who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because they look, but do not see and hear, but do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you shall indeed hear, but not understand. You shall indeed look, but never see. Gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be converted. Okay, hey, stop. I heal them.
0: Stop, stop because because they're so, whoa, whoa, doesn't Jesus want to come heal them? Doesn't Jesus want to do this? But notice what it says. They will hardly hear with their ears. Why? They have closed their eyes, lest they see. They have closed their ears, lest they hear. Is it the Lord that's causing them to not see and hear? No. Mm-hmm. The Lord is in everything possible for them. But they, they themselves, have, have they're, they're like this. They're not hearing what he's preaching. They're not listening to him on the shore. And they're sitting there talking about how they're going to destroy him. Right? And, and so he just turns to his apostles. He says, look, look. They're not even listening to me. Yeah? Okay, keep going. But blessed are your eyes
1: because they see and your ears because they hear. Amen, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. The seed sown on the path, Is the one who hears the word of the kingdom without understanding it, and the evil one comes and steals away what is sown in his heart. The seed sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and receives it at once with joy, but he has no root and lasts only for a time. When some tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, he immediately falls away. The seed sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but then worldly anxiety and the lure of riches choke the word and it bears no fruit. But the seed sown on rich soil is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields a 100 or 60 or 30 fold.
0: Now, Annie, we're running a little bit out of time. I want to share with you a couple of insights from the church fathers because you want to hear them more than you want to hear me, and um, and for good reason, right? So let me just give you these three quotations. The first is from Saint Theodore of Mopsuestia. He says it was frequently his habit to make use of parables for at least two reasons, either because he would be speaking about things unseen, so as to so as by the parable to make invisible things seen so far as this was possible. Remember Isaiah? Yeah. Okay or it was because of the unworthiness of the hearers when nothing beneficial would come to them from the things that were said. But there was another, a third cause for parables. Frequently when he was saying something by way of refutation, he would by means of a parable temper the harshness of the refutation by the sake for the sake of his hearers. Mm-hmm. As when he tells the parable of the vineyard and says, that he will miserably destroy those evil men and will rent out his vineyard to others In saying these things to the Pharisees, Jesus clearly avoided harsh language. Now, now St. Theodore has a beautiful insight here, but now we can add to it, the political background of what's going on. Right? So Jesus yeah. now tempers his the way he's talking by giving them a parable. So as not to throw, you know, whatever oil on the fire, uh, you know, and 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 cause this whole thing to blow up, but still to teach his apostles the reality of the situation because now with him is not just the Pharisees and the apostles, right? There's all the people that are being pulled in different directions. There's crowds around him, some are listening, some are learning, some are growing, others are standing in a distance, questioning and not certain where they're at. And there are that 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 situation with the rocky ground. This is all, of course, applied. In homilies to me and you, how are you preparing your soul? And how that's all fine, but first, hear of what's going on in the gospel account. Okay, St. John Chrysostom, although the saying is quite obscure, it indicates unspeakable justice. For what Christ is saying is something like this When anyone has zeal and eagerness, there will be given to him on God's part all things sufficient for his needs. But if he lacks any responsiveness and is not ready to contribute to his own share, neither are God's gifts bestowed. In that case, even what he seems to have, so Jesus says, shall be taken away from him. Here it is not so much God taking something away from him as it is his own unreadiness to receive these gifts. We ourselves do this all the time. When we see someone listening carelessly and when with much effort, we cannot persuade him to listen at all, then it remains for us to be silent. For if we continue, even his carelessness is aggravated. But if someone who is striving to learn, we lead on and pour in much, right? How beautiful. And the fathers of the church are just, you know, this, this is great. Okay, the last one, is St. Jerome. He gives reasons why, why seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. He says the heart of this people has been hardened. And with their ears, they have been hard of hearing. Unless we think that their hardness of heart and hearing are, are natural, and not voluntary Jesus alludes to the fault of the, of the will and says they have closed their eyes lest any time they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their mind and be converted and I heal them right they're afraid they're they're afraid of following Christ and what that means and what it'll how that will change their lives and I'd say maybe homiletically isn't that true also with us, oftentimes? Yeah. We hold something back as though the Lord's gonna take something away if we give our life to him. Right? As though, as though, I'm gonna go money on, on everyone for a second, as though tithing 10% of our income of the gift of the Lord is going to somehow make us poorer. Right. right? Something I'm not gonna have as much. And the Lord says, try me in this, test me in this, you know, or 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 in volunteering our time that somehow time will be taken away from us will lose valuable time. You know, the, the time is given to us for this purpose. What we have in our in our in our livelihood is given to us for this purpose. They have closed their ears, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand and them, be converted and I heal them. Therefore, with closed eyes, they are unwilling to perceive the truth, the truth uh, here in the parable's. Uh, and in the riddles. Okay. And so the, the, there's the church fathers on this, on this point. I think we have covered quite a bit of this gospel and some other yeah. things to ask.
1: Well, I was just going to, since we, we are running up on the end of, of our time, uh, Paul takes this to the next level then what you're just saying, because um, he's talking about sufferings of this present time and how we need to, to have the trust, the confidence, the hope. That these are as nothing, as he says, as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed to us.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and read it very quickly. We can do this very quickly. You to get a church father quote and we'll close this whole study. Great. Okay. This
1: is Romans chapter eight, starting with verse 18. Brothers and sisters, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed for us. For creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. For creation was made subject to futility, not of its own accord, but because of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption and share in the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains, even unto now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit We also groan within ourselves as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies.
0: Yeah, this beautiful image of first fruits, St. John Chrysostom talks about says, If the first fruits are enough to free us from our sins and give us righteousness and sanctification, consider how wonderful the whole inheritance must be. If the creation devoid as it is of a mind and a reason and therefore ignorant of these things, nevertheless groans, much more should we groan as well. Next, so as not to give any comfort to the heretics, he says that we do not groan because of the inadequacy of the present system, but because we desire something which is much better. And let's let's leave it just at at that point, is that this hope of the Christian, the desire for the return of the Lord, must be something which, which, which pushes us on, which encourages us, which gives us hope in the present difficulties and trials, waiting, waiting. For the restoration of all things, the first fruits of which we have seen in the resurrection and we have experienced in the gift which God has given us. And therefore, we put our whole selves. I, I think that's a great example of Peter, James, and John giving their home, giving their boat, bringing them whole selves to the Lord. Therefore, we, 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 we don't hold back. We, we, we invest everything in the pearl of great price for the thing we yearn for most in our life. We put our whole selves to that. Encourage our ICC friends and family with your studies, with the time you're giving. You're cultivating the soil of your heart. You're making that soil rich so that the word of God can sink, deeply can be planted, can take root. But that's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take hard work and toil and, and tilling and keeping and getting ready for the word of God to be planted in our hearts, that the word of God might grow and the covenant between God and man might be restored in our own lives. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.